Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the Kirk Church Podcast. I'm Aaron Elmore, lead pastor at Kirk of the Hills, located in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This is where you can hear messages from all our pastors and guest speakers. Make sure to subscribe and share with anyone who follows the Kirk. If you want to know more about us, visit us at thekirk.com, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Instagram at the Kirk Church. Let's get started with today's episode. Looks like the rain has stopped. So glad that you have come today, that you're here to worship the Lord. For those of you who are worshiping with us online, we're also glad that you're here with us. We pray that um, the Lord will bless you today. He, I know I don't know about you, but he's already blessed me through the time of worship. Uh, it was so powerful this morning, and I want to thank you for for leading us in worship today. Uh, we're continuing on in our series, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, and it is the conclusion of the book of Romans. And uh, we've been working our way through the book of Romans, if you hadn't noticed. We've, we started uh, right from the beginning, and we've been building on Paul's theology, his, his revelation of the gospel, what it means to believe in God and to believe in Jesus Christ. And we've gone through a whole lot of stuff. And now at this point in the scripture, we come to the practical side, uh, putting that belief, those, those principles about who God is and what our salvation is like, putting that into action. And if you notice, this was uh, this passage was like really rapid fire commands about the way that we are to live in this world. One after the num, uh, after the other, they seem to just pile one on top of the other. And as I thought about this passage and tried to think, what, how can I present this in a way, uh, that will be understandable, memorable to the congregation today? Uh, the only thing I could think about was this book. The Berenstein Bears, you remember these guys? Inside, outside, upside down. Maybe, maybe it's because I have a grandson now that, um, these things, this is, but this is an old one. This is a classic. And if you remember in this little story, this little bear, he's playing in his house and there's some movers there and he gets inside of a box and he gets taped up in the box and they take the box outside and then they put it in a truck upside down and he bounces off to town. And fortunately, he bounces off the truck in his box and his box pops open and he's able to get out of the box and he runs home and he says, Mama, Mama, I went to town inside, outside, upside down. Sorry if I spoiled it for anyone, but um, it's a great story, especially if you're a little weak on your prepositions. It's a great way to learn them. So I uh, just want to uh, recommend this book to you. I know uh, Aaron likes to recommend books, so I'll recommend this book to you. Um, anyway, but as we think about this, this today, how does this relate to what we're studying? Well, um, I think that um, this box, as I thought about this this book, the box that this little child found himself in, represents us. It represents who we are. And um, we're going to use this as a means to remember who we are as the world is watching, as our neighborhood is watching who we are. So let's begin with inside. Inside. 
Now, when we think about what's inside of us, we tend to think that that's secret, that it's private, that people don't know what's inside of us. But you know, that's not true. Jesus said there's a principle that what is hidden will be revealed and what is done in the darkness will be brought out into the light. Amen? And this is true about what's inside of us. You see, our attitudes, our principles, our values, things that are deep down inside of us, they all get revealed in our actions, in the way that we live our life, in the things that we say. And so what is inside of us comes to light. People see it. And so Paul begins by talking about what is inside of us. First of all, he gives us this admonition in chapter 12, verse 9. He says, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Hate What is evil? This is a very strong word for hate. It actually is abhor what is evil. Now, we've experienced evil in our community in this past week, haven't we? But do we really hate what is evil? You know, evil comes from sin. And as long as we tolerate sin inside our life, then we won't hate evil. Like we should. As a matter of fact, evil becomes familiar to us. It becomes tolerable. In some ways, it can even become comfortable. So the issue of sin in our life has to be dealt with or we won't be able to hate evil like God wants us to hate evil. Amen? It's the truth. He goes on to say, cling to what is good. Hold on tightly to what is good. A couple of months ago, uh, Leda and I uh, paid for swimming classes for our little grandson. Now, he was less than a year old at the time, and it seemed like just a great opportunity. I got to get in the pool with him, and he was going to learn to swim, and, and he hated the pool. I mean, it just freaked him out. And so that little kid grabbed my neck. He clung to me. He dug his nails into my skin. He twisted my t-shirt. He held on so tightly to me while he was in that pool. For 30, 40 minutes, he held on like this. The Bible says, cling to what is good. What is good in your life? Do you have joy in your life? Hold on to that joy. Don't let the enemy take it away. Do you have peace in your life? Hold on to that peace. Do you have good Christian friends? Hold on to those Christian friends. Value them. Cling to them. Because they're worthwhile. But most of all, God is good. Amen? And we are to cling to Jesus Christ. We got to be like Evan in the pool, man. We got to hold on so tight like our life depends on it. That's what God is calling us to do to cling to what is good and to hate what is evil. Paul goes on. He says in verse 11 that we are to be never lacking in zeal, but to keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. What does that mean? Today we would say be energetic and motivated. And this should be in all areas of our life. We should be motivated and energetic when we go to work. Because the world is watching us. 
They're watching the way that we do the work that we're supposed to do. We should be energetic and motivated when we're involved with the life and activities of our families, of our children. Can we have an effective witness for Jesus Christ if we're lazy on the job? I would say no. Our witness is affected by the attitudes that we have. Not only that, you know, think about your own family. Do you take the time to participate in the activities of your children? Go to their t-ball games. Go to those endless dance recitals. Endless, right? But they're important, aren't they? Because it's a way that we demonstrate our love and our concern for people in our lives. We are to live a life that is energetic and filled with zeal. However, it says, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. In other words, we're to maintain a balance because it's very easy for us to get so caught up in working hard in our jobs or caring for and participating with our family that we don't have time for God. We don't have time to serve God. We don't have time to participate in the life of the church. But God has called us to keep our life in balance and to have that energy and that motivation for both our spiritual life and the other things that God has called us to do. Because this is a part of who we are. It's a part of the way that we communicate who God is to the neighborhood. Verse 12 looks toward the future. It says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Are you a joyful person? Are you joyful in hope? Or are you a Debbie Downer? Are you that kind of person that's just always dragging around, always seeing the negative? You see, we as Christians, we don't have to be, we don't have to be happy all the time. But there should be a level of joy that exists in our lives. Amen? Why? Because we've been saved by Jesus Christ. Our future is secure. We know that we have a God who is sovereign, that loves us deeply, who's involved in our life. He's working out his plan in our life. And as a result, we can rest in that. And that creates joy. And that creates peace and that creates a hope in us. And that's part of who we are. So as we have that hope inside of us, it shows in the way that we live, in the joy that we have, that we exhibit to the world around us. Be patient in affliction. Boy, this is a hard one, isn't it? When the going gets tough, the neighborhood is watching. When things get tough, that's when people are watching you because the world doesn't have Jesus Christ like we do. You see, patience is an indication of trust. And we trust in the Lord. You see, and if we have trust in the Lord down there inside of our box, then we will approach Affliction, difficulty, trials in our life in a different way, won't we? 
We have the confidence that God is at work, that God has a plan and we are at rest in him. And so we can be patient for God to do what God's going to do. It's not easy, but the world is watching that. They don't have that. What happens with them when affliction and difficulty comes in their lives? They fall apart. They go to pieces. They become bitter. They become angry. And we can't be that way because it affects our witness. It demonstrates that we don't trust in God. So what is inside comes out in who we are. We must be faithful in prayer, Paul says. When when we faithfully pray, we are aligned with the will and the purposes of God. You see, prayer aligns us. It's like prayer is like the chiropractor. It aligns us. It straightens us out. And it causes us to have the right posture toward God. People don't need to see you praying. See, that's what the Pharisees did. They prayed in the streets and they raised their hands and so that everyone could see them. Jesus said, don't pray in public, pray in private. But the effects of a prayer life comes out in the way that we live. Because our posture is different. We have a trust and a confidence in God because we have sought him in private. So we live differently in public. Am I right? This is why prayer is so important. What is inside comes out. What is inside of us comes out. So let's go on our box now. Let's talk about outside. Inside. Now outside refers to the way that we relate to other Christians. The way that we live in Christian community. It's kind of the way our boxes stack up with one another. So let's think about this for a moment. What does the Apostle Paul says? The Apostle Paul says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. The word here is phileo. It's that word that we get Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It means that we are to be devoted to one another like a family is devoted to one another. I grew up with a brother and two sisters and we fought. I mean, all brothers and sisters fight. Amen. We all fight. But yet when it comes to going out in the neighborhood, we were united. We were devoted to one another because we were family and we were tied together. And that's what Jesus is. That's what Paul is saying that Christianity is like, that we are to live this way. We are to be devoted to one another like a family. We are the family of God. And we are to be devoted in brotherly love to one another. He goes on and he says, honor one another above yourselves. Honor one another above yourselves. This is an idea that that Paul expresses in different places in in his writings. One of them is Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, he says, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. You see, we are to have the interests of others at heart, above our own interests. This is the way we live together in community, is to value the interests of others, honor other people above our own selfish desires and our own needs and our own wants. This is not always easy. But the apostle 
Paul tells us here in Philippians, he says, the way that we do this is by following Jesus Christ. And he gives us Jesus as that ultimate example of humility and selflessness. Because he said what Jesus did was he left heaven. He gave up part of his godness, his omnipotence and his omniscience. And he he set that thing aside and he became a human being. Wrapped in human flesh, taking on the limitations of humanity. And he not only became a human being, but he came to serve. And not only to serve, but give the ultimate act of service, which was death. Not only death, but death on a cross. So Jesus exemplifies for us what it means to put the interests of others above his own. And he's called us to do that. To live that way as we serve one another, as we care for one another, as we think about each other. Verse 13 goes on to talk about our resources. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Share with the Lord's people. We are to be generous people. God has blessed us to give. We give to our families. We should be generous with our families. We should give to our community. We should give in and through our church. We should be a generous people and the world should see that generosity. This is a generous church. This church gives money like very few other churches that I've ever seen. You are a generous people. And it has enabled this church to do incredible things in this community and in the world. And I thank you for that. But it goes beyond that, doesn't it? Because he says, practice hospitality. Hospitality is, requires investment of our lives. It requires our space. Allowing people to get into our space and into our time. And that's not easy. That's not easy in our busy lives. But God calls us to that. It doesn't just mean having house guests. Hospitality goes beyond that. It's about opening ourselves up to other people. This is happening in our church in big ways. I think about the ministry that's going on right now to these Afghan families that we've adopted. I mean, these people don't even speak our language. They come from another country. They uh, are, are Muslims. But God has called us to love them and to reach out to them and be generous toward them. And we have people in our church that are giving of their time, that are caring for them in just beautiful and incredible ways. Just incredible things are happening. They're teaching these guys how to drive. They're driving all around the city. It's crazy. But God is doing that. We're, we hope to be able to subsidize the purchase of some vehicles so that they can move to the next step of independence. If you'd like to give and be a part of that, that's what it means to be generous. One of the ladies, a young mother, just had her second child last week. And one of our congregation members was there in the hospital with her, caring for her. That's the level of intimacy that the Lord has created because of the spirit of generosity that this church has. That's awesome. That's awesome. And that's what God is doing. 
So we're excited about the way that the Lord is causing this to be lived out in our lives. You can do the same. Think about in your work or in your school, that person that is rejected. How can you include them? How can you encourage them? How can you spend time with them? That's hospitality. And that's what God is calling us to. Verse 15 instructs us to be in solidarity with people around us. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Do we rejoice with those who are rejoicing? Sometimes we don't because we're jealous of their success. And so we're a little envious, maybe. And so we don't rejoice with them. Most of the time, though, I think we're indifferent to their success or what they're doing. We're so wrapped up in our own world that we don't take the time to listen to what's going on in the lives of other people and to value it and to celebrate it. But that whatever their success may be, it's important to them. And when we celebrate it with them, when we acknowledge it, when we rejoice with them, it's so affirming. It's such a way to bless people. It's a simple way that we've forgotten in many ways. He goes on to say, mourn with those who mourn. There are people that are hurting all around us, suffering. Do we take the time to empathize with them? Leda and I had a friend um, who used to be a supporter of ours. And he told us this one time, he said, you know, I never miss a funeral or a wedding. If I get invited to a wedding or a funeral, I go. And we were like, really? He was like, yeah. And he was living this principle out. Because it's important to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. I tell you what, in my many years involved in funerals here at the church, I've seen just how fewer and fewer people come to funerals. Fewer and fewer people. We're losing, as a Christian culture, this idea of mourning with those who mourn. But it's so powerful and it's so important. I remember when my daughter was in high school and someone close to us died. We said, you're going to the funeral. And she's like, I don't really want to go to the funeral. It's creepy. And we're like, you're going to the funeral. Because we wanted to teach her this principle. It's so important in our lives. To understand this, we have a, an incredible group of ladies here in our church that host funerals for people. And you might think, well, that's a creepy job. I mean, going to every funeral they have in the church, that's terrible. It's incredible ministry. Think about it. People, when they're at their lowest point, when they're suffering loss, when they're thinking about the mortality of their loved one and their own mortality, it's an opportunity to enfold them with love, to serve them, to care for them. It's incredible ministry to mourn with those who mourn. And it's a ministry that this church does and does very well. And many churches are losing it. If you want to get involved, get involved. It's a cool way to serve the Lord. 
You see, the neighborhood sees us not just as individuals. They don't just see us as a box like this. They see us as a stack of boxes. And they want to know, is our community any different from their book club? Is our Christian community any different from their group of friends that hangs out at the bar? And it should be very different. Our Christian community should be very different. And this is the way corporately that we live out the principles of our faith before a community, before our neighbors, before a neighborhood that wants to know the Lord, that needs to know the Lord. Okay, so we've talked about inside. We've talked about outside. Now let's talk about upside down. Upside down. What does it mean to live upside down? As a Christian, we shouldn't just be model citizens. We shouldn't just be the best of what the world thinks is a good thing. Our life should be so radically different than the world around us that it's countercultural. Amen? When the world looks at us, they should be blown away by who we are and the way we live Our life should be upside down to them. Let's think about it. What does the Apostle Paul say? He says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Bless those who persecute you. I have to confess, the other day I was um, with my family. We were driving through the parking lot at the gathering place. And of course, it was packed. And as we're driving along, I slowed down and I came to a rolling stop because there was a family on the other side there that was loading up their car and they had a little toddler who was about maybe two years old and he's just bouncing around and they didn't know if he was going to dart out into traffic. And so I had come to almost a complete stop and then right behind me, there was this big SUV and this guy whips out from behind me, passes me on the right and zips into a parking space before I could get there. It got all over me. (laughs) I pulled up behind him and I laid on my horn. Let's just put it this way. I didn't curse him, but I didn't bless him either. (laughs) I did not bless him. And as I started to prepare this passage, I thought, oh man. See, that's exactly what Paul is talking about. You see, when people hurt us, when they, when they, when they do something that violates our rights, we want to get even, or at the very least, we want to denounce what they have done. But Paul says, don't do either of those things. Live upside down. Bless them. Bless them. Well, what does that look like? Well, it looks like forgiveness, number one. We have to forgive people that hurt us. And that's not always easy. Not only do we forgive them, we have to pray for them. Maybe we have to put ourselves in their position and try to understand what may be going on in their life that would have caused them to hurt us so badly. Not easy. 
But these are the kind of things that God calls us to do. This is the way we are to live our lives. Sometimes we just have to think about their lostness. You know, we have the benefit of being Christians. We know Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We have been studying God's word. We have the benefit of a Christian community that loves us and supports us. And the world doesn't have any of that. They're living in darkness. And yet we want to judge them by the standards by which we live. They're lost. They're in the dark and we're in the light. We have to remember that. That's how we can bless them instead of cursing them. It's not easy, but that's what it means to live your life upside down. The apostle goes on and he gives us another idea of what this looks like. He says in verse 16, that we are to live in harmony, live in harmony with one another, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. The way we live as, as Christians should be different. Our world is no longer living in harmony, is it? Maybe it never was. But I think increasingly our world is becoming segmented, right? I can't associate with those people. They're of a different political party. I can't associate with those people. They're of a different race or culture or a different religion. You fill in the blank, whatever it is. But increasingly our world is becoming, people say, tribal. It's being separated into different groups and we're all at war with one another and we're not living in harmony. And we as Christians must learn to live in harmony as believers with one another, but especially with the world. It's not easy. Sometimes we have to give up our pride. We have to give up our rights. Sometimes we have to give up our harmony. We have to give up our comfortability to live in harmony. Paul focuses here on association with people who are of lower position socially, economically. The Roman world was very stratified socioeconomically. Our world is too. Do we associate with people who are different than us, that that make less money than us, that live in a different way, that have a different level of education? How do we treat them? How do we live together in Christian community and demonstrate that kind of diversity? These are all questions that are important to us that we need to think about. You see, division in our society boils down to pride, to being right. But you know, there are things that are going on in in our society today that I don't agree with. There are things, issues in our society that none of us should agree with. They go against what we believe as Christians. So how do we treat people who are on the other side of those issues? It's an important question for us as the church today. You know what the answer is? God didn't call us to be the judge. You got a black robe? A little gavel? I don't have one. I do have a black robe. I don't use it anymore. We're not supposed to use... We're not supposed to judge people. 
That's the position of God himself. It's our job to love them, to bless them, to encourage them, to listen to them, to try to build bridges of trust and friendship with people who are living lives that are contrary to the gospel. And as we do this, we have the opportunity then to communicate the truth of the gospel. This is what God has called us to do. It's upside down. It's different than the way that our world lives. But this is what God has called us to live, to treat people with respect, to demonstrate the compassion of Jesus Christ. The teachings of the gospel have changed us. Amen? I'm not the same person I was, even last year. You see, the gospel continues to transform us and to change us. And as a result, we need to live our lives differently. We need to think about how we're living inside, how we're living outside, and are we living upside down? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that even as we study about Jesus and about our faith and what you've done for us, it just becomes very practical about the way we live. Lord God, if this box represents us, then we surrender ourselves to you. Help us to clean out what is inside. Help us, Lord God, to live outside in fellowship and connection with other believers in a way that shows the world the love of Jesus Christ. And finally, Lord God, help us to live upside down. Changing with our lives, the culture around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.